Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest narrator Scott Brick. Welcome to the Audiobook Loving Series, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. I'm so excited. I know that we were thinking of having you a couple of years ago, but then, you know, stuff happened in the world. <laughs> Life happens. Yeah. So yeah. we're like, yeah. you know, it's okay. Let's catch up now. So you are known as the golden voice. And, uh. <laughs> and the voice that both men and women could listen to for hours, regardless of the genre. And you've actually reached what people will call like professional heights in the audiobook world rather quickly from where you first started your career. It's been like, what, 20 plus years now that you've been doing this in audiobooks? It's been uh, mumble mumble years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Been, uh, um, I actually, I, I had my very first gig on June 10th of 1999. No, and wow. I know that. Because um, I, I guess I was a Type A or something, and I would <laughs> and I, w- I would keep my 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 calendars, my yearly calendars, mm-hmm. my date books. Uh, I would keep them at the end of the year so I could refer to them uh, when I was doing my taxes. And so um, I oh, had spirits. that date. Yeah, I, I had that date <laughs> circled on my when I at one point when I think it was in two thousand nine. I realized I was coming up on ten years, and I went back and I found my old date book, and it, there it was, June tenth. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. But, uh, yeah. It's been 99. A, I was graduating high school that time. Yep. <laughs> and now I feel old. <laughs> Thank <stop>. you. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I feel old now when a song's like, did you know this song is 30 years old? And I'm going, oh, crap. Did you have to say it? Right. Exactly. Yeah, did you exactly. have to tell me that? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you started off as a classically trained stage actor. So how do you go from that to audiobooks? Um, well, yes, it's true. Uh, when I was at UCLA, go Bruins, um, I was, uh, I did a lot of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when I left UCLA, I became part of a, a touring company that would do Shakespeare for schools, basically all around California. We did California and Nevada. Um, but primarily California. And um, I had a buddy of mine that I had gone to UCLA with, Bob Westall, blessed be his name. Um, mm-hmm. Bob uh, was working at a um, an audiobook company in Beverly Hills at the time called um, um, Dove Audio. And it, it went bankrupt about a year and a half after I got there. I try not to blame myself for that. I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> not your <yeah>. fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't do it, I swear. Um, but um, I think of those days very fondly because, uh, you know, Bob had seen a number of my productions, a number of my stage productions, and we would play baseball every every Saturday. And uh, and he, uh, yeah, he, he got me an audition. And on that very first day at Dove Audio, I ran into a guy named Dan Musselman, I say ran into, he actually came looking for me because somebody, um, um, the producer of the session that I was doing, I was doing two short stories that day and um, my very first time in an audiobook studio. And he, um, Stefan Rudnicki, um, 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 lauded uh, audiobook producer and narrator, he uh, 
he went and found Dan Musselman and he knew that Dan Musselman was leaving Dove Audio a couple, you know, like literally that day. My first day was Dan's last day. Dan was going to work for a company called Books on Tape. And um, they wound up being purchased by a random house a few mm-hmm. years later. And uh, next thing I knew, there's this guy in the parking lot. We're out there on a break. And he's like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going off to build my own studio for this company, Books on Tape. Maybe you want to come work for me. And um, I, I, no lie, 20 feet from where I'm sitting right now, I have that business card framed on my uh, in my uh, living room table um, on a display table in my living room, because I, I can't imagine what my life would be like had I not met Dan that day. Yeah. Wow. And now it's like a thousand books, audiobooks later, right? It's over a thousand now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My it's crazy. goodness. It's crazy. <laughs> well, it fits. I mean, one of the things, uh, one of my favorite lines in your bio, which also I love the first line where it's like, I hate writing my own bio. So I hire someone else to do it for me. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the worst kept secret in, in, in entertainment is that people write their own bios. I don't want to write my own bio. Don't make me do it. I hate it too. I feel you. I feel yeah. you. I, I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm trying not to be, cons- I'm like, I'm listing my stuff. I'm like, no, but I love the fact that you hire someone else. I'm going, Hmm, that's a thought. Hmm. <laughs> but the last, one of the last lines on there that I simply love was he's obviously, he obviously won't be happy until he recorded every book ever published. Yes. <laughs> I will not. I will not. I am not happy that I haven't recorded every book ever published i will not be happy until i have recorded every book (laughs) ever published i think the likelihood of that happening is very close to nil but um but goals right goals well yes absolutely (laughs) everybody needs a dream everybody needs a quest yeah that is mine yep i love that drive though i love that drive (laughs) (laughs) another thing i wanted to touch base real quick was Nothing like having a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning and watching, I think it's CBS, and they had the Sunday morning show, which mm. I've been watching that show since I was a teenager because it's it's short, but it has a bunch of different things. And I'm going, oh, cool. And then and on our next segment, we have Golden Voice, Scott Briggs. I'm like, holy shit, Scott's going to be on this. <laughs> I was so happy, but at the same time, I'm going, he needs more screen time. You know, because they, they want to other, talk about other things. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You cannot drop the name Scott Brick and put him twice in that whole segment, people. But that must have well, been kind of fun, right? I, I tell you, that was months. No, I take, I take it back. That was over a year in mm-hmm. the works. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. There was a conference that we do, uh, a, a um, audiobook conference, uh, audiobook publishers conference um, every year in typically it's typically it's in May. I think this coming year it's going to be in March. But anyway, um, it uh, uh, they had reached out to me and they thought about maybe doing interviews on the floor of this convention. And, you know, it's at the Javits Center in New York, which is like crazy busy and really, really loud. And, um, you know, after a year, which at this point I figured, okay, well, they're not interested anymore. Um, Yeah, they came back and they said, is there a nice quiet studio (laughs) where we can interview you? And uh, as it turns out, I, on the day that it happened, I was at um, 
uh, a studio called Out Loud, uh, not far from my house. It's in Burbank, California, and it uh, uh, it's an um, we were I was working for Audible.com, Audible Studios, and we were recording the Bible, and it it seemed like well, this seems an appropriate topic to be talking about when <laughs> when David Pogue comes out and interviews me and you know i tell you what was really extraordinary was in the studio i think they have four studios i think um in the studio next to me was Lawrence fishburne uh recording the autobiography of malcolm x and that wound up winning the audiobook of the year and uh that that particular year and um she's interviewed in that segment as well yes they interviewed me they interviewed Lawrence. um that was extraordinary. It was, um, I always think that getting to talk about audiobooks is a privilege. And uh, being there on that particular day when such a laudatory uh, um, title was being uh, recorded by such a brilliant actor, I, uh, I thought, wow, I am, it is a gift getting to be here today. And David Pogue is just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're Facebook friends. We've talked a, a number of times since then. And he's just, he's just cool. And he asks tough questions. He asked me a question that I was like, wow, ain't nobody ever asked me a question that hard before. Um, <laughs> and he's like, but aren't you taking away our right to interpret these books for myself, for ourselves? And I was like, I ain't doing anything to you. I ain't getting in the way of your of your business. You know, it's like go ahead. You know, imagine the book however you want. But uh, I I just thought, you know, oh yeah, both. And yeah. I I loved it. I I loved the fact that he asked that question. And uh, uh, we we watched him just this last Sunday. It's yeah. uh, it's a great show. Yeah, no, I love that show. But it's funny when he did ask you that question. I'm going. How is he? I was like talking to the screen. What do you mean he's cheating? And I'm like, no, he does not. <laughs> well, he he was lovely. He told yeah. me when we got done, he said, because, uh, oh God, I think we spent like 90 minutes in front of the camera. And of course, probably two minutes, two and a half minutes of it winds up being in the piece. But but yep. that's the way it always works. That's the way any interview works. And um, I remember him saying, I wish we could do a piece just like a half an hour piece, just based on this interview alone, because we got so much great stuff. And I was like, that's very kind of him to say. Um, who knows? Maybe he says that to everybody. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I, I remember just as a result of him asking those hard questions, you know, I gave him hard answers. I, you know, we just got down to the, to the nitty gritty of it. And um, at one point we were talking about how interactive and experience listening to an audiobook is i was like well my work ends when i when i leave the studio on the last day but the work doesn't end there because the listener has to do their work when when they purchase the book when they download the book when they rent the book from the library and they get to interpret it however they do they get to flex their imagination muscle and um and i just i just remember thinking wow i don't usually get to talk about things like this yeah. But he's David Pogue. So we yeah, did. Exactly. <laughs> I was it was interesting in that segment, they pan into you reading, as you were saying, the Bible. And I'm going, yeah. damn, Scott can make that book even sound interesting. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> at first uh, they didn't say what it was. And I'm going, what is he reading? I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. 
and and the yeah. level. I'm like, whoa, there, there's, there's talent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember we, of course, uh, they were setting up the camera, and they said, so what are you reading? And I said, well, the first five books, they're the four gospels and then the book of Acts. And they were like, great. So what should we film you recording? And uh, I don't even remember whose idea it was. They said, the Lord's prayer. <laughs> and uh, hallowed be thy name. I just, I remember, I, I think they used that clip when I, yeah. when I said, hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking again, this is a privilege. I mean, I've been going to church all my life and I'm like, who knew there was room for advancement? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, sometimes people don't stop to think what can become an audiobook. You know, people just think like stories and novels, but it's like, you know, anything from educational books to even, there's even cookbooks and I'm going, Oh, that's fine. uh, Absolutely. Or like, you know, 90 days to a better prostate. I mean, you know, (laughs) there's so many books out there and they get done on audio and I'm like, that's great. It's wonderful. I have uh, two friends of mine who are blind. And um, um, I've had people reach out to me, people who are visually challenged, reached out to me and said, I would be cut off from the world of literature if it weren't for you and your colleagues. So thank you. And that's a, that's a humbling email to get. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was grateful. Yeah, no, I've had friends um, that are have hard sights and are blind. And those are something too, when I go into my local library, because you can, at least here in Orlando, um, and I think in most library systems, you can kind of request, uh, suggest that they get a book in. Yeah. Um, and at least for me, aside from it's a great story, it's a great author, I always add the line, plus you're allowing additional, additional diversity and people with you know potential vision issues to be able to partake in this literature. And yeah, it gets accepted. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, there's somebody interviewed me. It was it wasn't. Um, I've been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, but it wasn't the Wall Street Journal. It was like Business Weekly or something. I don't remember who it was, but it was a it was a business oriented magazine. And they came to me and they they were asking because you know audiobooks are a billion dollar business yearly, and they asked me you know, if they could interview me and, and, and for my input and why do you think they're so successful? And I used, I used to be a reporter. I used to be, well, I don't know if I would call myself a reporter. I wrote magazine articles for three years. I wrote 300 articles in three years and it was for like niche stuff. It was like usually about comic books, science fiction, toys, video, you know, movies, video games, whatever. Um, so it was, you know, it was geek stuff, but nevertheless, that's how I made my living for three years. And I know a leading question when I hear one. <laughs> I know I know a question that's being asked in a way that they have a very specific answer in mind that they want me to give. And so they said, do you think, it was something along the lines of, do you think audiobooks are so popular right now because of the proliferation of, you know, the advancements made in technology? You know, that we can listen to them on an iPod uh, an iPad, a, a, a cell phone. And it was, it was clear that, that, that the way that they had phrased it, that's what they wanted me to say. And I said, no. <laughs> and oh my God, you would have thought I'd farted in church. Um, they were so, they were like, what do you mean? How could you say that? They're, they're, there's advancements in technology and audiobooks are, are booming. So they must be related. And I said, 
Well, I'm sure that helps, but I don't think that's the reason for it. I think audiobooks have become popular because when we were children, our parents read to us and we miss it. As adults, we miss it. And there's something just really reassuring about hearing the human voice read to you during your day, at the end, at the beginning of your day, during the day, at the end of the day, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I, uh, um, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. But go ahead and throw in the technology thing if you really need. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it can really justify that because the technology has been around for a long time, more than the recent five years, especially now, recent five years, where audiobooks has totally hit a growth like trajectory of like straight up kind of a thing. And, okay. and so they, it, it's uh, while it has helped, um, it's definitely just, the, I mean, for me, it's just being busy and multitasking and like, I can only listen to so much music on the way to, to work and back when we were commuting totally. and I'm like yeah. popping an audiobook. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, um, the technology helps. There have been audiobooks for over a hundred years now. That's the extraordinary thing. There's a wonderful book. I think it's called the history of the talking book. If I, if I'm remembering correctly, I really should know that for sure because they actually mentioned me in it. I think I got one, one mention in it, which was nice. But I mean, essentially, right after World War One, they started recording as a, it was Helen Keller's, the AFB, American mm -hmm. Foundation for the Blind. And they started recording uh, books for people who were blind, who, were, who, would, who would be cut off from the world of literature. And um, there were these technological advancements, uh, turntables that would move slower so they could get more of the book on each disc. Uh, they did the same thing with cassettes when they came around, you know, basically getting as much information, as much recording jam-packed on a single delivery mechanism, whether it was a disc or a, or a cassette uh, as possible. But now that, you know, the, the technology exists, we can carry it around on our phone. Okay, great. But I think... I think what I had said about, you know, the fact that we miss being read to, um, I think that applied a hundred years ago. I think, I think, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the meeting of the two. It's, it's the perfect storm. Um, our, our, you know, missing that, our, our craving to be read to, um, married with, with, uh, with the technological advancement. Yeah. It just uh, it happened at the perfect time, at least for me, anyway. I yeah, I call I call my house the the house the books built. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to buy this house. If it yeah. for I still have my vinyl from the eighties, Pinocchio um, book audiobook that my wow. mom kept and has been like now that she's passed, I, I get to have it here the house and i'm going dude it's vinyl not that that's a huge shocker right now because it's back and now trending again thanks to millennials um but yeah. <laughs> it's um i was like that's where my love of audiobooks started as a, as a toddler was my parents reading me stories but also listening to them on vinyl back in the day so yeah yeah there was um um i i have i still have um record players and um cassette players and uh I don't have an eight track, but I need to go out and get one. I even have a um, <clears throat> an old Edison Ambarola player, which is um, when records were cylinders wow. back around um, the late 1800s, early 1900s. 
I'm, um, I'm a great big fan of forcibly retired media. Um, and I, um, there's just something about listening, you know, I, I've got a, 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 <clears throat> a cylinder from 1912 uh, of uh, a Christmas Carol of, uh, I think it was a, a Holy Night. And there's something about realizing that, wow, these people sang this 110 years ago. Yeah. And I can still hear their voices. And um, it, it's the same thing with vinyl, you know, um, for you, it was, uh, what was the, uh, what was the book that, uh, Pinocchio. It was Pinocchio. <laughs> okay. For me, it was Cyrano because in 1950, Jose Ferrer made a, a film. Uh, well, um, um, he starred in the film Cyrano. He won the Academy Award for it. My old, um, college professor, Michael Gordon directed that film. And as part of the production, they thought, well, you know what? This was, this is a play. This is text that, you know, uh, turned into a film, but they thought we should really record this. And they got the cast of the film and they went into the, they went into a studio and, and that's the vinyl that really hooked me when I was a kid. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, I got to hear just my favorite story of all time uh, mm -hmm. told by the, Original the guy cast. Won the Academy Award for, for <laughs> playing it, you know, yeah. and uh, directed by my college professor. It was, uh, there's, there's just something really comforting about that, about being able to still hear their voices so many years later. Yeah, it's true. I mean, every time I go into a vintage shop or I, I always kind of check the vinyls and see what's there oh. and, and see what they have and and then see what i you know like oh i know that oh that's cool and so i can listen to it but uh but yeah it's definitely um a lost art i think sometimes even the quality of how things sound on a vinyl is different than everywhere else mm -hmm. but but yeah i can only imagine though in the future how they're going to be listening to your books that you've narrated oh. <laughs> wow. that's almost uh daunting um, right <laughs> well look i i um uh, yeah, I really, I, I, I just like this idea. I, I have a number of colleagues who, you know, they, they like uh, talking about like, oh, what an impact we're making. And I think, well, let's not sit around licking ourselves like cats. Um, <laughs> and yet there's something very comforting in the fact that um, what we do helps others. Um, I had a woman get in touch with me um, at a dear friend of mine uh, who was subject to panic attacks. Uh, we lived in the same apartment building and she, there were times where she came to me and she said, I'm having a panic attack. Can you just hug me? And um, I was like, sure. Yeah, of course. And you know, there was nothing sexual about her. Of course she just, she's like, I just need human contact. I just, I need yeah. to be hugged. Yeah. So I can get past this. And, um, and I was like, yeah, no, I get it. It's a basic human need. We, yes, absolutely. And um, I had a woman get in touch with me who said, um, I have, she had been in, sadly, she had been in an abusive relationship and she had become subject to panic attacks. And she said, um, when they would happen, they would usually last two or three hours. She said, but 
when I discovered audiobooks, I found that the comfort of being read to, when I could just focus on what they were saying, and the fact that this was a very intimate experience, somebody was just reading right into my ear. They said, um, um, the, the panic attacks, when I would listen to an audiobook, they would be cut in half. And she said, I'm getting in touch with you today to let you know that for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, the sound of your voice, whatever, the style of your narration, I don't know, she said, but when I listen to you, those panic attacks typically go away in about 20 minutes. And I just, I, I, I flashed, when I read that, I, I started sobbing. I got to be honest with you, I'm a great big old softy. Um, but I, I was just sobbing because I remembered my friend April, who, when I would have to go down to her apartment and just, you know, sit on the couch I swear and just just hug her and and I thought you know this is palpable this is real and for whatever reason you know my voice helped her more that's that's humbling yeah it's lovely yeah I was um doing looking at some videos and stuff just to kind of get more into the oh my god I'm gonna start I'm gonna be talking to Scott Britt okay 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 <laughs> and because I was nervous and then as I'm listening I realized that you have this soothing quality in your voice. And I was like, oh, I feel so more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that I'm going, oh, oh my God, I do. I do feel more relaxed. I may have to have your audiobooks in the back when I have these really crazy ass meetings for the day job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to have a meeting oh, real so quick funny. with Scott. Give me one second. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> but your voice does have that you know, quality where you are able to do things like the, you know, the mysteries and the thrillers and things like that. But also I'm sure you can do a, a, a you know, a nursery rhyme and it's like, Oh, you know, there's just, again, something <laughs> about your voice that just makes, at least for me, I can say, and I'm sure for others as well, that just makes you go, okay, we're good. <laughs> well, bless you. I really appreciate that. I'm, yes. uh, it's very kind of you. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny because I work with a lot of newcomers. Um, I do a lot of um, teaching, coaching um, for audiobook narration. And um, what I typically find myself telling newcomers, and these are some of these people are like, you know, they've got the voice of God. <laughs> you know, it's it, it. There are certain people who have just been gifted with voices that are extraordinary. I mean, uh, look, a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Stefan Rydnicki, I, I mentioned him earlier. Um, if you've never heard a book or anybody listening has never heard a book by Stefan Rydnicki, uh, run, do not walk, go gra grab run, like one of the Orson Scott Card um, Ender books. Um, Stefan has a voice that is so deep. It, to me, it sounds like God is gargling with boulders. Yeah. He's got one of those voices. And yet Stefan will be the first person to tell you that your voice will never book you a job in this industry and in voiceover. Your voice will never book you a job. The only thing that will book you a job is if you know how to use it. If you've had the, the acting training and, you know, um, if you um, study storytelling and, um, you know, that's the thing. Stefan's voice is extraordinary but he knows how to use it. And, um, and so I, and yet you can't, 
ignore the fact that his voice is the way it is and, and mine is the way it is. I, um, I had somebody say to me, you know, Scott, your voice is really kind of vanilla, but, and, oh, and this was, this was in a review, by the way, it was in, it was in the LA times. It said, Scott Brick's voice is rather vanilla, but if you're going to spend 25 hours with the voice, this is the voice you want to spend it with. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it's true, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's sort of the kind of, especially now that it's becoming so popular, plus add pandemic to it, where a lot of people are like, okay, are not, you know, working traditionally, the whole thing, like, hey, I've been told to have a good voice. People were like, well, what can we do with that? And right. it's just so much more than that, because it's being able to tell a story, not just right. sound good while you're saying it. And yeah, I think that you definitely have a gift of storytelling. And that's one of the many reasons Um as a key to your success, what do you think are some of the other keys to the, your success that you've had, you know, thousand books later? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, bless you for asking. I, I, um, I, I gotta be honest. I think, I think one of the keys is that um, I'm just, I'm just a book fan. I just love reading. I just do. And um when I'm working with newcomers and they have to record samples of their work, excerpts, uh, two-minute samples of, you know, um, a fiction, a thriller, um, um, romance, male-female dialogue, um, nonfiction, self-help, you know, whatever it is. Um, they ask me, what should I pick? You know, what should I record as my sample? And I say, well, don't think about the book. Think about the genre. What kind of work do you want to do? Um, you want to do science fiction? Great. What's your favorite science fiction book? And they're like, yeah, but it's already been recorded. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's your favorite book. People will hear that in your voice. And I think ultimately, whatever, <laughs> whether you like my work or you don't, um, the, the, the fact that I've been successful, I think, owes to the fact that I just love books. And I think, I'm assuming people can hear that when I'm reading, when I'm reading to them. I just, um, you know, I, I remember years ago, I got uh, asked to do a book called, um, um, I think, it, what was it? Uh, oh, yes. It's Superman was the name of the book. Um, a marvelous novel written um, about what w really, what would it have been like if you were living in New York in 1938, the year that Superman debuted in comic books, and suddenly there was this alien from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Um, what would that have been like? How would that have changed? Uh, certainly with, with the, the ramping up to World War II as it was in 1938, as we all were in 1938. And um, anyway, so I, I got to do um, um, Tom DeHaven, I want to say is the author's name. Lovely man. And uh, I remember recording the book. And when you do an intro, you know, Blackstone Audio presents, Penguin Random House presents, and you give the title and the author and, you know, read by Scott Brick. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a rather straightforward thing. 
if I was doing this book, it, it was for Blackstone Audio. And ordinarily, I would have done it this way. I would have said, Blackstone Audio presents It's Superman by Tom DeHaven, read by Scott Brick. Just simple, straightforward, boom, 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 you know. But I'm a comic book geek, <laughs> and I have every episode of the uh, Superman radio show ever produced, uh, which really sparked my love of old-time radio. And the title, It's Superman, came from the opening of the radio show, which then became the opening of the TV show in the 50s with George Reeves. But it was like, look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. And that's the title. It's Superman. And, and, and it had that kind of oomph, you know, when done on the radio and on TV. And so I said to Stefan Rednicki, again, uh, I'm just uh, mentioning him left, right, and center. Uh, he was producing that book. And I said, um, I want to do this intro a little bit different. Would you be okay with that? He said, sure. And I said, Blackstone Audio presents, it's Superman! By Tom DeHaven, read by Scott Brick. And again, it was two words. It's Superman. But I was like, you have to do that. Yeah, you, you do. To. <laughs> and and, um, and it was reviewed in Audiophile magazine uh, a couple of months later. And it said, I knew from the opening credits that I would love this book because I could hear how much Scott loved it. And it's a really long answer to a very short question, but I think ultimately that's what it comes down to is that I love what I do. Yeah. I love the material that I work on. And I'm assuming that people can hear that in my voice. I hope they do. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation that some of us have um, when we're listening to books and we're like, we could tell that they were really having fun. We can tell that they really liked the concept and the, and the story and the characters. And then we can also go and we can tell that they phoned it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> so, there are those. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things that I tend to gravitate more for those books that are liked by the narrators or that the narrators are talking more like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this book and things like that. Cause it's a tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't think it is. I'm like, no, no, no. We, we know when you like a book. No, okay. it absolutely is. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's also kind of fun to kind of hear that, like, what is it about that book that you liked so much, aside from the fact that it was a gig and you got paid for it and all that other fun stuff, you know, but especially knowing that, um, there are other narrators like yourself that are bookaholics and book lovers and things like that. And so when we know who those are, we're like, Oh, they got excited and I'm a book lover and they're a book lover. I'm like, Ooh, adding it to the TBR even though that thing is long as hell. <laughs> well, uh, yes, of course. No, I, I, I uh, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've got a massive to be read list, uh, uh, shelf, uh, to be listened shelf. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I, most of my dear friends are narrators. Um, we saw Ray Porter the other day and Simon Vance and John Lee and Hillary Huber. We all went out to dinner and, um, um, and and so we'll 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 chat, you know, um, uh, among us uh, amongst ourselves, 
And there have been times where you get asked to record something that's, eh, you know, it's, it's a gig. And um, um, it doesn't happen very often, but we, we, we were <laughs> laughing. Uh, I, I, to be honest, the person who said this was not on that list, and I won't mention who it was who said this, <laughs> but she said, um, have you ever had that experience where you're driving home, you've driven to your house a thousand times, you're driving, you've got like a 20 minute drive and you get home and you park in your driveway and realize, I don't remember anything of the last five minutes. And you realize that you've been on autopilot. And that's what we strive to avoid. Like the plague is like, we don't want to be on autopilot. We want to be engaged. We want to connect with the text. And when we find out that like, oh crap, I don't remember anything in the last five pages. Well, it's time to go back and re-record the last five pages. That's true. I've had that experience because I'm enjoying the book so much and I'm not annoyed sure. at traffic. <laughs> oh, totally. yeah. 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 Same thing like at the day job with the spreadsheets and when we were in the office, it was cubicle world. So um, <laughs> right. I was listening to audiobooks because if I listen to music, I may have started singing. Then that's not good in cubicle world. Um, <laughs> No, <laughs> so audiobook exactly. was totally it and there were times where i'm like i'm like okay i gotta stop the audiobook i need a break because i've literally been staring at the at the screen and that spreadsheet has not been updated in a while so totally <laughs> look I've, I've lived in cubicle world i i know i i absolutely and uh you know the the whole i the whole experience comes down to engagement um i tell you i uh, if if uh if you'll indulge me, I had a, a great moment teaching a class one time. Mm -hmm. And Alex Hyde White, um, uh, you may have heard uh, any number of his books, he's in hundreds of books. Alex Hyde White. He's the son of Wilfred Hyde White, who was a famous British character actor. Alex is American. He was uh, born and raised in America, but of course his father was British. And so he can turn on the accent anytime he wants. Um, his father was in, you know, My Fair Lady and a, a number of marvelous productions. Um, you would absolutely recognize Wilfred Hyde White. Alex Hyde White is a, a brilliant narrator and he's done a number of uh, on-camera stuff as well, including Pretty Woman. Um, and he, uh, he took a class of mine and we were talking about um, just some of the, um, the techniques of narration. Uh, we were talking about emphasis. Uh, when most people, when they come to a, an, an exclamation mark, um, they think, you know, from an actor's standpoint, they typically raise their voice on that line if they see that there's an exclamation mark at the end of it. But that's a misnomer. Uh, it has nothing to do with the volume. Volume is one way that you can emphasize something, but that's ultimately what it comes down to. The exclamation mark meant emphasis. They were, whoever it was in this novel was emphasizing something. Um, there are eight ways that you can emphasize a line, uh, a word. It's uh, volume, you can raise it or lower it. There's pitch, you can pitch upward, you can pitch downward. You can pause before or after the word. And uh, then you can uh, lengthen the word or shorten the word. And so I'm working with this class and uh, 
And Alex has this wonderful biography of Truman Capote. And he reads a section where there was a woman in Truman Capote's life. I don't know who it was, but he always called her Big Mama. That was his name for her, Big Mama. And uh, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, in this sequence, uh, I've got 11 students sitting behind me in the outer booth. Alex is in the inner booth, the, uh, the recording booth itself. And he's, he's reading and he says something along these lines. Um, um, she said, I love you, Truman. And Truman replied, no, big, big mommy, you don't love me. No, Truman, I do love you. No, big mommy, you don't love me. Truman, of course I love you. Big mama, you can't love me. Truman, why would you say that I cannot love you? Because I don't deserve to be loved, big mama. And when he said that, all 11 of the people in the room with me, behind me, gasped. It was like we'd all been kicked in the stomach. It was such a, it was such a, yeah, it was such a lovely moment and a just heartbreaking moment. And, and I, and I immediately looked at it in terms of the exercise and also Alex, because he was in the booth, he didn't hear those 11 people gasp. He had no idea that he had affected them the way that he had. And so I got onto the talk back. Um, I clicked the microphone and I said, Alex, what you just did, these eight ways to emphasize something, I said, you just did three things. Before that line, I don't deserve to be loved, big mama. I said, I said you, you paused before you said it. That's one means of emphasis. You slowed down when you said it. You spoke that line slower than, than the rest of the text. That's a second means of emphasis. And you dropped your volume. That's a third means of emphasis. I said, when you, when you were practicing this sequence to read for us this excerpt, this sample, did you think about those three things? Did you decide these are the three, the three of the eight means of emphasis that I will use to, um, um, to make this line meaningful for the listener? He said, no. I said, do you mind sharing with me, with us, what you did think about? And he sighed and he said, I just thought about all the times in my life where I felt like I didn't deserve to be loved. And I said, well, by not focusing on the technical side of things, by just focusing on the emotional side of things, 11 people in this room, 12 people, including me, just connected to you. And through you, we connected to the text, to the author. And I think that really, ultimately, that's what it boils down to, is can you find something in the work that you're doing? Um, you know, in, in teaching, they talk about the teachable moment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always, I call it the reachable moment. Uh, is there something in this text, as there was for him, wow, how many times have I felt that way? I think that's kind of what our job is, that we have to just put ourselves into the shoes of you know, whomever it is uh, writing this story. And wherever that moment is, 
connect to it. As long as you connect to it, you know, he could have raised his volume. He could have paused in the wrong place. It, it wouldn't have mattered as long as he connected to the material. I think that ultimately that's, that's really what it all boils down to. Yeah, I know that a lot of times there are commas and exclamations and question marks. And I know punctuation is there in the book to kind of give us the speed and that telling us that the sentence is done. Otherwise, run on sentence. Um, but it's different when we talk. It's not like that, you know. And oh, it's so, it's so funny. I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's one of the things I talk about with my students is that um, punctuation doesn't exist. There's no such thing as punctuation. Punctuation is a fallacy. It's been invented by the print industry. In human speech, in human interaction, in our conversation right now, there is no such thing as a period, a comma, a dash, a slash, you know, nothing. All Somebody there are, Exactly. <laughs> all, all, the only thing that there is in this conversation are gradations, variations of pauses, of emphasis. Uh, and so I always, I, I tell students, dishonor punctuation when you need to. Don't do it just flagrantly. I mean, you know, respect the author and what they wrote. Um, and yet, if, if, the, if, if, the, if the period, if the comma, if the semicolon, doesn't come in the right spot, then change it. Because I mean, it, if there was such a thing as punctuation and we had to be slavish to it in honoring it, then you could get away with saying this line this way. Who do you think you are anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, because there's a comma there. <laughs> right. But also there's a question mark. Yep. And yep. It, doesn't, it doesn't take into account that it might be you know, a rhetorical question. Who do you think you are anyway? Well, there's a question mark. You have to write a rhetorical question as, with a question mark. And yet, couldn't that be misread? Who do you think you are anyway? That's technically correct. But sure as hell ain't actually <laughs> correct. No, yeah. So and it would not sound good in the earbuds either. Yeah. Right. It doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's also part of the conversation sometimes when people are, are talking about the performance of the narrator and bringing out those emotions and how we connect to the emotion sometimes, not just the story. And that's because of you guys, the narrators, bringing that to life for us. Well, thank you. Um, I, uh, you know, every time I hear the word performance, I, I don't want to say I cringe. But I remind myself that I don't want the listener to think about the performance. Um, There's a wonderful producer, uh, Yuri Rozovsky, and sadly he passed away a number of years ago, but um, great director. And he always said, you know, there's this debate, uh, is listening to a book the same as reading a book? If you listened to an audiobook, would you say, would you use the vernacular, hey, I just read this book? Um, and so people debate, is it the same? Is it as good? Is it better? Or is it somehow maybe less than? And um, Yuri's response, it, it, I always loved his take on it. Um, we were at a diner one time and he said, 
it's not the same. It isn't the same, but it is every bit as good. The fact of the matter is the author wants a story to get to the reader. And you are the conduit to make that happen. In the old days, it was the pages that were the conduit to make that happen. The pages and the eyeballs and the brain. Well, now, you know, at, back in those days, the pages, eyeballs, brain, you know, the, the construct would have been whatever the, however the reader interpreted the story. That would have been, you know, their imagination. That would have been the construct. He said, now the construct is us. We stand in the way, not in a bad way, but, you know, there are now the words and the narrator and the computer and the microphone and then the listener's ears and then their brain. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a different route to get to the same point. But um, we are the construct. I I personally believe that the construct should be as small as possible. Um, I said it in that interview with David Pogue, my job is to do as little as I can to make you think as much as you can. Uh, my job is to stimulate your imagination muscle so that you can still interpret the story however you want to without me giving such a large performance that it becomes about me. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the author's words. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I understand. I think sometimes, um, at least in romance, a lot of the, there's even a hashtag on, on Twitter, and this is going to be the unpopular opinion. I don't care. Whereas like narrator motivated and I'm like, I understand that we might pick up a book because so-and-so narrates it. And, you know, we love the sound of their voice and we know we're going to enjoy it. But for me and many others, it's about the story. And sure. the narrator is what he, you know, what they may oomph a little bit of it, you know, whether it's sometimes I don't know how to pronounce a word. And if I would have read it, it would have been like, and blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> but to sure. hear you guys be able to, I'm like, oh, that's how you pronounce. Yeah, no, hey, no, mm -mm, I would not have been doing that. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. to you. Yeah. I, I have to say, my, my girlfriend, Susanna Lee Freeman, she's a narrator as well. I love her. And, <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah, I've had her on the show before. Oh, have you really? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I I didn't even, I, I had no idea. And we, seriously, I saw her right before I, I, I dashed in here to begin this. Um, I, and so I hadn't even told you, I had, hadn't even <laughs> told her that this was with you. But um, we, uh, we watch religiously, uh, we rewatch um, uh, The Big Bang Theory. Oh, and, that's and Sheldon, there's the, he says this line over and over. Um, he'll pronounce a word and he'll say, and yes, that's how it's said. And so Suzanne and I will come across words that most people mispronounce, like P-R-I-M-E-R. -E most people say primer. Well, it's not a coat of paint. Um, it's actually a primer. And so, uh, and so we'll, use, we'll, we'll use the word in a sentence and I'll, and I'll say, so really what this was, it was just a primer on the subject. And then I pause and I turn to her and I say, and yes, that's how it's said. <laughs> And I guess it's just a way for us to feel intellectually superior. And I don't discount that because it's an important thing. 
I don't, I don't, I don't need much in my life. I just need to be right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's so many different things when it comes down to pronunciation, depending on if it's a second language, if it's the third or fourth, in some cases, depending on where you live, if you're native or not. I mean, people say that um, like in Atlanta, Georgia, those that were born and raised there know if you're a tourist, just by how you say Atlanta, Georgia. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And I, so- I, I, I've talked to uh, natives of Baltimore who say it almost like Balmer. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. okay, I get it. And yeah. if you ever hear anybody say Oregon, you know that they've never been to the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, same way with Nevada rather than Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. So the listening to you guys, I'm like, oh, cool. That's how you say it. And I learned something new because I'm a learner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My job here is done. done. (laughs) But it's also a lot of work because when you guys don't recognize that word and how to pronounce it, you guys have to do the research to do it. You know, well, yes, I hope (laughs) um, I I, want to give credit where it's due Um, more often than not. If you're working with a director, then mm-hmm. it's their responsibility typically to look up all those words unless you know you just happen to have um a working knowledge of whatever subject matter that you're you know that you're talking about um uh, uh i work on the dune series by frank herbert and now by brian herbert and kevin anderson and um I have done all of that research because, you know, the directors I've worked with over the years, sometimes I move from director to director. I need that consistency. So I always check in with the authors to make sure that I'm pronouncing it the right way. But for the most part, you know, if we have to say, you know, is it, it's Oregon, right? It's not Oregon. Yes, it's Oregon. But ordinarily, you know, whoever is producing the book uh, has to do that research. And quite often it's us ourselves. Maybe mm-hmm. we're working in isolation. I hire people to do that research for me. Um, geographical um, mm-hmm. uh, names, place names, uh, people's names, uh, words and phrases in foreign languages. I that's That's not my superpower. But, you know, George Weisberg, the guy that I hire, that is his superpower. So I just, I pay him to, to handle all that stuff for me. Or, you know, the whatever director producer I'm working with. Um, I will tell you a, um, a funny story. Uh, years ago, I was my very first bestseller I ever worked on. It was called, um, it was by Nelson DeMille. It was The Lion's Game. And I did it late in 1999, early in 2000. And um, he's a marvelous thriller writer. And, uh, uh, and because he lives on Long Island, a lot of the adventures that he writes take place on Long Island. Well, um, um, he, wound up, he wound up talking about um, uh, 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 a small airport. Oh, God, what is the name of it? Um, it's 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 uh it's in Long Island. It's it's um oh god it's oh god what is the name of it? Um, I I got to be honest, I I can't even remember the name of it right now. But I got the pronunciation wrong because we guessed. Uh, it was 1999. The studio I was working in um um didn't even have the internet uh, at the time, and uh, we were like, well, you know, what could it be? 
and uh, we got it wrong. And years go by, and I, it's probably still one of the best reviewed books I've ever done. It's a massive bestseller, and um, yet a number of the reviews said, seriously, you couldn't have looked up the pronunciation of this airport? Um, it starts with an I. Why am I not remembering it? Anyway, I, uh, uh, years go by, and I, and I saw those comments every now and again. They were like, hey, I love the book. I hate the pronunciations. And it happened three times in the book. And um, um, 10 years later, 2008, 2010, uh, I get contacted by the publisher saying, Nelson is finally writing the sequel to this book called The Lion. And I said, hey, um, <laughs> since people will probably listen to The Lion's Game before they listen to The Lion, could I maybe go in and change the pronunciation of these you know, three instances where I mentioned the airport's name wrong? And, uh, and the publisher got, and I was nervous. I was like, I have to admit to the publisher that I screwed up three times in that book, I screwed up. And, and they said, are, are you, are you telling me that you're willing to do 10 year old pickups? I said, I'm not just willing, I am eager. And we went in and we re-recorded it. They sent me those three samples and I just re-recorded it. They switched it out from with the original recording. And um, that mistake is no longer on my conscience. So well, yeah, I mean, again, I think that's also one of the keys to your success is that willingness to, you know, make sure that the story is told correctly. But I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you know, nowadays, because we have the access to so many different things, we're, we're a little bit more pickier sometimes about how things are pronounced versus years ago, we have no idea. Same thing like here, there was a city called uh, Kissimmee, and some people pronounce it Kissimmee. Kissimmee, right. Yes, yeah. I, I've, I've heard both versions yeah and it's like which one's right and i go i don't know <laughs> i go it yeah. depends on who's, who's who's saying it um and so it's just one of those things where it's uh, yeah i know those reviews sometimes are hard but it's the same thing with accents sometimes you know what we hear as a southern accent is not the same thing from if you're from you know savannah georgia atlanta georgia or texas there's still a difference <laughs> no totally yeah, yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. um it's, uh, um, yeah, you can tell whether somebody is being, I think there's a difference between accuracy and authenticity. I, you know, I can, I can, um, I can be accurate. I can look things up and if I find it online, okay, it means that I'm right. Right. But you, you know, you can die. Right. Um, authenticity is something different. You can tell when somebody is doing an accent that they, um, uh, that they were born with, right? Um, and uh, uh, I, I've always thought, you know, I'm going to try to strive for authenticity as much as I can. You know, it's the same way with like emotions. It's like, well, maybe I, if, if there is a character in this scene who has an accent, Maybe I do a hint of the accent just enough to make you imagine that it's a much thicker Scottish brogue or a thicker Russian accent or German accent or whatever it happens to be, Spanish accent. Um, but as long as I aim for the authenticity, the emotional authenticity of that scene, 
um, you know, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Speaking of accents, I know many of us are suckers for them because we do love it when accents are performed. (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, and we all have our favorites, of course, including you guys for, you know, as far as what your favorites are to perform, but also funny note here, uh, Brad Meltzer in that same uh, Sunday morning uh, episode said that he likes to throw in accents just to see if you could do it. Oh God. I was like, I love him. <laughs> I I I love I love uh, I love Brad Meltzer with the ferocity of a uh, the intensity of a white hot sun, um, but the man is a pain in my ass. Uh, he, he, yeah, a, a, a years ago, by the way, his birthday is April first, April oh Fool's God. Day, <laughs> April Fool's Day, and one day, one one uh, of his birthdays, I wrote a blog post on my website saying why I hate Brad Meltzer. And again, it's, it's April Fool's Day, people. Um, uh-huh. People took me seriously. Oh, God. And they were like, why would you hate him? He's a lovely man. I'm like, <laughs> nuance, people. Look it up in the dictionary, nuance. And, um, um, but yeah, what I, what I blamed it on was, uh, um, was, was uh, uh, the fact that he throws in like, yeah, this guy spoke in an Uzbek accent. He spoke in a Floridian accent, but it wasn't just a Florida accent. It was the upper Midwestern, Southwestern Floridian accent. I'm like, really? Oh, God. Really? And and one time um, he wrote a book. I won't say which one it is. I don't want to, no spoilers. But the main character passes away. And the story is picked up by his best friend. And we were talking on the phone, we, uh, as we sometimes do before, uh, uh, before the recording starts, just so I make sure that we're on the same page. And um, I said, uh, um, uh, so that was a really bold choice that you made, killing off the main character. I mean, it's like Sunset Boulevard, you know, the film. It's like, really? It's being narrated by a dead guy? Really? Um, and he said, yeah. I said, well, you know that, you know, people are either going to love it or really, really, really hate it. And I said, I'm just curious what made you, uh, you know, make that choice. And he said, I got to be honest. Part of the reason why was I wanted to hear how different you would make them sound in the audio book. <laughs> and I said, Brad, I hate to tell you, they're both going to sound like me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh Brad is uh, Brad is wonderful. He's one of these guys who um, a number of my colleagues will will uh, we will chat, will uh, um, um, touch base, and we always ask ourselves uh, one question: the authors that we work with, do they get it? Do they understand audio? Do they understand the unique? Um, um, advantages, disadvantages, uh, uh, the opportunities that are available in audio. And I'll tell you what, Brad Meltzer, he gets it. Brad totally understands what can be done uh, in an audio version of his work. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, yeah, he's extraordinary. Yeah. So what is your favorite accent to perform? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, great question. I love... I love German. I love 
uh, Spanish. I love Russian. Um, I love the New York accents. I, okay, again, going back to Nelson DeMille, there's a book called Plum Island where uh, a New York detective has to go out into a, it's a real place, Plum Island in Long Island. It's about an hour and a half, two hours. It's at the very eastern tip of Long Island, and it's a place where they work on bioweaponry, um, biological warfare. Uh, they do it at the very <laughs> easternmost tip of the country, so if anything goes wrong, it affects as little of the country as possible. Um, anyway, there's a, uh, in, in this novel, there's a murder that takes place there. And so this Manhattan, you know, New York detective, he goes out there and he's, uh, he's interviewing this, uh, scientist. Scientist happens to be from Germany. And it was a really long chapter, chapter. It was like 90 minutes long. And it was just New York, German, New York, German, <laughs> New York, German. And I was like, I am in heaven. <laughs> this is my this is my favorite thing, you know. Um, yeah, two of I your just, favorites. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was like, I've never had it happen uh, before or since. But that was a that was a really good day. Yeah, so. it's good when you have a good day at work, you know. <laughs> yes, it is <laughs> absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I the, the German was like okay because sometimes people think that that's like a like a hard accent like a like a harsh accent but it you know like i I like russian sometimes too so yeah sure i can see it yeah yeah i mean uh uh, there's a there's a funny um um as far as the german uh goes uh, there's a funny joke it says uh how many germans does it take to screw in a light bulb the answer is one because we are efficient (laughs) and we have no humor (laughs) and we have no humor you know, um, I, I just I just love that. And, and Good one. you know, uh, uh, the Russian accent, too, I, even like the Arabic accents. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, uh, working on a book. Uh, it was a Nelson DeMille book. I'm giving him a lot of press today. Um, <laughs> it was uh, The Panther. And, it uh, you know, of course, we're talking about our country's enemies. So, of course, there were the Arabic nations were mentioned. And this guy was just, you know, he was torturing somebody. And I just got like really close to the microphone and started speaking in this Arabic accent. And a friend of mine was in the booth and he said, uh, oh, good God, you do that well. I scared the crap out of me. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, um, it's, I think it's the, every actor's desire to be somebody different for a day. Yeah. Kind of fun. And everybody wants to be the bad guy, whether they admit it or not. Yeah, that is one thing a lot of you guys that I when I've spoken to is like they're like, it's fun being the bad guy, at least in the book. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. And with over a thousand books that you've narrated, and I know that you tend to, you know, narrate specific genres, but is there a genre that you have yet to narrate in that you'd love to narrate? You know, the I think the only genre that I had never worked in was romance. Um, I used to kind of make a joke about it. I said, I have narrated in every category known to man, except for romance. Um, And then uh, Suzanne and I um, began dating and um, we actually got hired to work on a series together, 
we got to work on uh, a Lauren Blakely book. Um, we got to, it was, um, we, it was a multi-voice um, production uh, about a four book series. And I played a detective who was investigating a, um, uh, uh, the murder of a certain character. She played another character in it. And um, uh, Lauren had said, we met up at an award show here in uh, Los Angeles. And she said, you know, I've always imagined that these two characters would have gotten together if the series had continued. And she said, um, uh, now knowing that you're an actual couple, <laughs> would you, if I wrote it, would you be willing to do it? We said, sure. So I've, I, the, the one genre I'd never worked in, now I have. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's romance. And um, which is really cool. And getting to work on it with Suzanne was marvelous. So, yeah, you guys were a fun um, group of uh, narrators to work with and things like that. I actually worked on that book as the production manager with Lori. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, of course, of course, of course. How I did, I did not, not even bring that up. Of course, that's how we actually met for the first time. Mm -hmm. I, I forgive me, a thousand books they tend to you know, kind of blur in my mind, but that Absolutely. was so much fun. Yeah. We actually made a uh, we made a video of yeah. that, and uh, uh, we watched it the other night. We showed it to a couple of friends of ours. We we shot it like a like an old time, uh, you know, the big sleep, um, the long goodbye, um, um, uh, you know, uh, the Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe kind of. Uh, uh, detective story but we used the character names from from the book and that was a that was a lot of fun it was yeah. great yeah <laughs> ah small world after all huh absolutely <laughs> goodness you know it was um that was definitely a good i, I love that series and i love what she did with it and when she said that you were gonna be included i was going "Ooh, ah nice <laughs> so it was it was really um look uh, you know you should always flex your muscles, you know, um, uh, expand your range. And uh, I had never done it. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Well, maybe you do a little bit more later on in life, right? I am happy <laughs> to do so. Good. Y'all heard it. Scott Brick can do romance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> book him now. Because <laughs> he's... <laughs> I don't care if you haven't written the book yet. Just book them now. Uh, <laughs> you'll get that. Watch. Um, so when you're not working, what do you do for fun? That's a great question. <laughs> when I'm not working. Mm -hmm. hmm, yeah. When am I not working? Um, I tell you, um, where I'm sitting right now is my office. And uh, I've got an entire devoted to uh, bookshelves. And right behind where I'm sitting is um, is my silent movie Hollywood history bookshelf, and uh, I've got a uh, an easy chair, a recliner, uh, a couple of feet to my right. And um, I, if I wake up really early in the morning, you know, if I don't turn on sports television, ESPN, um, what I do is I grab um, a volume of you know. Uh, right now, I'm working through, I think, the seventh or eighth biography of Buster Keaton uh, that I've uh, been that I've read uh, or listened to. Um, I've got um, uh, volumes about Roscoe Arbuckle and the 
tragic death of Virginia Rappé. Uh, it was called the crime of the century, even though everybody was involved was innocent. Um, uh, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I live, I live in Hollywood, you know, and I'm fascinated with the history of uh, movie making in Hollywood. Um, I know movie making is a worldwide endeavor, but um, you know, I, I read a biography not, not long ago of a woman named Florence Lawrence. She was the world's first movie star. She was the first person whose name was used in the credits of a film. This would have been around 1912, maybe 1914. And um, uh, she died tragically. Uh, she committed suicide, sadly, uh, in the 1930s, late 30s, um, after her career had devolved into playing bit parts, um, cameo roles. And um, as I'm reading her biography, I realized that when she died, she lived no more than a block from my house. This is a, a it's, it made it a, a, a far more personal story for me. And I've been to her gravesite. It's in, in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery um, on Sunset Boulevard. And um, it's just like, wow, this is a neighbor, but she's also a, a pioneer, uh, a, a uh, a pioneering, you know, woman uh, filmmaker in Hollywood. Um, those are important. And uh, I have, for whatever reason, I just, I'm utterly fascinated by that. I think uh, Suzanne rolls her eyes a little bit when I come <laughs> in here to, to read. It's just, she's like, no, I get it. It's a thing. I just, yeah, we don't but She has her candles that. and she has yes, her other she stuff. Does. She has, she has her, she has her candles and her cards. Mm -hmm. And we both have things that make us happy. Yeah. And uh, we support each other in that happiness. So Yeah, you but burn a candle in the room, you're fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> I come in, I pick out an old, an old silent movie, you know, uh, uh, tome, and I read it in my chair, and I burn one of her candles. Yeah, see? <laughs> that is us yep. being together, even when we're not. Yeah. Well, stuff to do couples. I know it's, again, we need our time alone and that's needed, you know? Totally. That's good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. No, 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 no. Even I was, I was sipping water when you asked me that. I would have said it a lot quicker. <laughs> like, ask, boom. Ask, ask me again. Ask me again. <laughs> what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. Why? <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. Why? Why is that your favorite uh, as, holiday? As of right now, and in, in we're recording this in April, um, I still have three Christmas trees up in the house. Oh, um, oh yeah. Um, well, the reason the reason why it's kind of a sappy reason, but um, uh, I got really sick in 2012. I was in New York, and um, I'd always loved Christmas, but I think just on par with the average person. Um, I am not average when it comes to my love for Christmas now. Um, but in 2012, I was, I was, um, I had uh, thyroid cancer and I was living in New York um, going through a, um, um, a clinical trial. And I was living in a treatment facility um, right across from Madison square garden. It was crazy. Um, um, but I couldn't put up a Christmas tree. I didn't have any decorations, but I was there from August through December 21st, I think was the day that I flew home. And 
Moving there in August, of course, it didn't bring any Christmas decorations with me, even though I knew I would be there until December. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't put up a tray and I missed it so much because it was the only time in my life that I have been in New York as it, the city gets wrapped in wrapping paper, right? The city, the city just dresses itself up. And I went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I went to the, uh, uh, to the Rockettes Spectacular at the Radio City Music Hall, watched the, you know, the Christmas show there. And I, I enjoyed it um, on, a, um, on an emotional level, just uh, separated from what I would have done ordinarily. And um, when I flew home, I arrived back in LA on December 21st. And then I had to fly to Australia the next day where, you know, Christmas is, it's 120 degrees in, in, in Australia uh, on, in, in December. And I just remember thinking as I would watch the city dress itself up, I thought, I can't do that this year. But, you know, when you have cancer, you, you can't help asking. Even though mine was non-aggressive, and thank God. Um, but nevertheless, you can't hear that word without asking yourself, how many more of these do I have? And I told myself, for as many more of these as I have, I will never, ever go without celebrating again. And um, I have gone way overboard, <laughs> way yonder in the other direction. I've got so many old, uh, you know, vintage uh, decorations. Um, Suzanne just kindly rolls her eyes, and um, <laughs> and then I point at her candles and I roll my eyes, and uh, and um, it's she, yeah, she uh, she puts up with it, but um, I, I just uh, it means the world to me uh, all year round. Yeah, I understand. Christmas is my favorite. Yay. Yay. So I'll have a Christmas Here. tree in the living Christmas room. Christmas siblings. And, yes. Oh, so cool. I might have to help you enable some of those ornaments if I see them. I might I, send them to you. <laughs> I'm totally good. I'll buy that. candles from her. <laughs> we'll even it out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so regarding the Christmas tree real quick, um, do you do one Christmas tree and it's themed for that tree and then other ones are there? Or are you one of those that just mixes everything together? Um, the primary tree, the one that we keep in the living room is um, it's, it's, it's a mixture of everything. It's uh, um, decorations uh, uh, inspired from her side of the family, my side, um, um, just a, a conglomeration of all the uh, decorations that we've um, uh, amassed over the years, plus uh, things that from our travels at the holidays uh, in 2000, oh God, I guess it was December of 2019, right before COVID, um, we went to London for Christmas and uh, we got some wonderful decorations. And so we put those out. Um, but then I have typically at least two other trees. One of them is, uh, I'm touching the tree right now. It is to my left here in the office. Um, here in the office, my, my dog who passed a number of years ago, her name was Cookie, and uh, she had this corner of, uh, of the office where um, she would just curl up. It was her favorite spot in the house. And I always called it, well, that's Cookie's office. 
Cookie's office was in the middle of my office. And so uh, <laughs> ever since then, ever since she's been gone, I put up a tree where all of the decorations on the tree are, um, um, she was a West Highland white terrier. Uh, they're all, they're all Westie ornaments. And I call it, you know, the cookie tree in the, in the place where she thrived, where she loved to be. And then I have another tree in um, right outside our kitchen. Um, my mom, I think it was about 10 years ago. She, she was, uh, you know, um, she's thriving, thank God. But uh, at the time when I came up for Christmas, she said, I'm sorry, honey, I just, I didn't have the energy this year to put up a tree. I, she said, but I did, I did do one in the kitchen. I was like a Christmas tree in the kitchen. What? And she had found like a, like a one or two foot tall tree. And she had gotten her mother's, my grandmother, whom I never met, but she had these great old red Christmas um, cookie cutters from the 1940s. Oh my God. And she hung them up as ornaments on this little tiny tree. Mm-hmm. And then I started buying her ornaments that were like an ornament in the shape of a, of a whisk, uh, of a blender, of a, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a frying pan, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And so she would put those up on her kitchen tree. And I, I, I found it so utterly charming that I thought, I'm going to do that myself. And so, uh, yeah. That's the that's no, the tree. Right kitchen There's tree. no there, our our ki- our kitchen is very small, so we okay. don't have it in the kitchen. We have it in the dining room, right outside the kitchen. Um, Close. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a it's a food based tree. And my um, Gina, my production manager, she uh, I was looking for a star uh, for 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 a topper to put on top of the tree, and um, she found a an ornament of um, um, a gingerbread man big smile on his face and his arms out to the side and his legs spread wide. And, and she glued it to a chopstick. Um, and so I can basically put it cause you know, there, there are no food themed toppers. tree toppers. Uh, and so she helped create one. And so we stick it into the top of the tree. So it, so it's propped up and it looks like it's on Aww. actually topping the tree. Uh, and again, it's food themed. So that's awesome. Yeah, I live for Christmas. That's awesome. I live for I it. it right now. I've got an app open on my phone that will tell you exactly how many days, how many days and hours <laughs> it will be. And uh, because I know you're 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 dying to know. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two hundred and forty-nine days, twelve hours, and twenty-eight minutes and twenty-four seconds. Love it. Love yeah. it. Perfect. No, see, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for stuff like that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. Yeah, Bless yeah. You. Hey, you gotta have fun, right? And then Absolutely. enjoy life. And if that one brings you joy, we gotta do it. Absolutely. So, last question. Yeah. What is your favorite word? My favorite word. Mm-hmm. Indefatigable. Oh, wow. I don't know why. <laughs> um. Uh. It just cracks me up. Indefatigable. <laughs> It's, it's, uh, you know, I could have, I could have chosen curse words or I could have chosen, you know, I love, uh, you know, the words that really mean something like, you know, love, devotion. Um, um, but, uh, <laughs> years ago I was walking into a studio, Dan Musselman, 
and uh, uh, was was uh, uh, it was books on tape when I was first hired there. And uh, he had been watching Cheers the night before. And, you know, Norm, when he would walk into Cheers, everybody would be like, Norm! Well, Dan, uh, um, uh, reaches, uh, as I come walking in the door, he goes, Scott, what's the word? And I said, indefatigable. And he just, he laughed so hard. And I just laughed thinking about it. And I'm like, I just came up with it on the spur of the moment. And I've heard people pronounce it wrong so many times. I've heard the... Uh, Years ago, uh, somebody after a Super Bowl saying, uh, talking about uh, Terrell Owens, they were like, oh, he was just indefatigable. I'm like, yeah, that's not really the way it's pronounced. But it um, sounds wrong. <laughs> it just it's 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 just rolling it over in your mouth. Just you yeah. know, indefatigable. It just sounds uh, it's fun. It's a fun word. So, yeah, that's my favorite word. Got it. That's, that's a good one. I want to start using that one. <laughs> like how you said it too, indefatigable. Indefatigable. <laughs> you got to put that spin on it. You know, yeah. as you, play it, you just got to you know, give it the emphasis. Absolutely. <laughs> so before we go, Scott, well, can you tell us what you're currently working on? If you can share and what's coming up next for you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you asking. I am currently working on, I'm uh, after we get done here, I'm going to go finish up a Tom Clancy book called uh, Zero Hour. It's the most recent in the um, Jack Ryan Jr. series. Um, and it's really good. Um, but I'm also finishing up uh, a passion project uh, called Dreamer of Dune. And um, um, I mentioned Dune earlier, written by Frank Herbert. Um, his son, Brian, Brian Herbert, he's become a very dear friend of mine, and he partners with uh, Kevin J. Anderson, and they've they've been writing sequels and prequels to the Dune books. Um, I've got two of them to work on in the next two months, uh, which is going to be absolutely wonderful. But um, Brian's passion project was um, the story of his father, who sadly passed too early. Uh, frankly, it's it's. It's both of his parents, Beverly Herbert, who died far too young, and Frank Herbert, her devoted husband. Um, and uh, uh, Dreamer of Dune, yeah. Brian, he wrote this, I want to say, in 2002 or 2003. And we were talking a while back, and he goes, you know, I'm just really disappointed it's never been done on audio. And so I reached out to the publisher, and I said, do you mind? And they said, no, here you go. They basically like gave me the rights. Um, but you know, the movie Dune, it just won six Academy Awards yep. and it yep. just seems like it's the perfect time. So, uh, I've, I've recorded it and it's going to be coming out on June 14th, I believe June 14th dreamer of Dune. Perfect. So, um, yeah, I'm really, uh, I just, I look forward to the day when I can tell Brian, Hey, you know what? This love letter to your parents, it's mm -hmm. out. It's available. So awesome. we'll keep an eye out for all that stuff and we'll list it in our, in awesome. our page. Yeah. Thanks I could so talk much. to you for hours, so, but I'm going to let you go because <laughs> you have work <laughs> to do. And so do I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> but but thank this you. has been, it's been absolutely lovely. Well, Dan, thank you. It's been such a fun time. Like I said, I could talk to you for hours, but thank you for being part of this year's audiobook loving series. I truly appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. It's always a, it's always a privilege to get to talk about audiobooks, especially with somebody else who loves it as much. 
Anxiety. So yeah. Everyone, thank you for hanging out with us today and hope you've enjoyed this chat as well as the series. Making sure to follow him on social media and we'll include all the links over at the audiobook loving series page at Viviana Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listenings. Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Loving series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program. 